Good morning. I'm glad you came back. I've been worrying all night about today. They told me we're going to have this uh, fire drill, and I'm thinking, okay, if I had that opportunity, you know, I'm just surprised somebody didn't have one of those trucks with coffee come in, and then I'd have been toast. So at any rate, I'm happy to be here this morning. I hope you are. And uh, this has been an interesting week for me because I was in Romania up until Wednesday, and uh Last Monday evening, we were doing a, uh, a seminar in a church in Chisnadia, which is, by the way, is a gorgeous place. You want to go someplace exotic and whatever, go to Sibiu, Romania, one of the world-class cities. You don't hear about it much, but it is, you know, the downtown core is a thousand years old, just gorgeous. Went to the light show. It was, yeah, life's tough, right? Anyhow, we're doing the seminar. And I'm making a very emphatic point, as I've been known to do every now and then. I just hit the blackboard with my hand, and all the lights went out. So, but actually, I thought, you know, maybe the, maybe there was a light switch behind the blackboard. But as it turned out, lights in the whole city went out. So we did the rest of the seminar by uh, cell phone light, which was really cool. I haven't done anything interesting like that since... Uh, doing a seminar by cigarette lighter. You know, it's a new world. Right? It just tells you how old you are. You're not using cigarette lighters anymore. You're using cell phones. It was, a, it was interesting. Only out. Hey, quit fooling around. <laughs> Maybe this one's for real. Who knows? There we go. Is that the last one? Who knows? Okay, whatever. I don't even know how to begin now. I want to start with this verse, okay? I don't know what I did. Okay, thanks. Glad to hear that. Here's a verse that was in my mind all week. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. That's a great verse, right? And as I was thinking about that when I'm in Romania, you know, I'm away from home. I'm away from my home church. This is my home church now. Probably in my home church for a long time, but... It's my home church now. I was thinking, like, you know, what is, um, what do I miss when I'm away? And I was, you know, I was thinking, I was thinking about Ken Walker. Yeah, I was. Ken's a pretty good guy, in spite of what you might have heard about him. And uh, I was thinking about last year, right about where Ken's seated, almost this time of the year, I think, we prayed together for Ken. And here he is today. Usually gives me a bear hug. I don't know what he'll do after the service today, you know. And I was thinking about Mary Miller, you know, and uh, I don't know where Mary is. What'd you do wrong, Peter? Is she right there? Oh, there she is. Okay, you're behind. You're behind the other Peter. Okay. And I was I was thinking about the terrible infection that she had last year. It really scared me. I don't know if it scared her or not, but it, it was really a scary kind of thing. And here she is today. You know, and so for me, when I get in the car and I go to church and on a Sunday morning, I'm just thinking about, wow, just think of the people you're going to meet and what God's done in their life. I'm thinking of Pope as well in a hospital when last January or February, something, there was snow, it was cold, that's all I know. You know, and you're here. And God's such an incredible God. 
We have this opportunity to go to church on Sunday morning, and, and we need to be thankful about that. But I'm also thinking about people who get up on Sunday morning, and they're not really so glad about this whole thing. Not every Christian is glad about going to church Sunday morning. I suspect this morning that some Oak Ridge people hit the snooze, and then they hit it again, and again, and they never got out of snooze mode. They're still home, and they'll say, I'll listen to it on the web. It's not the same. You know, it's great we can communicate information on the web, but you can't communicate relationship on a web. There's something about being in the body of Christ. There's some who are here, of course, they, they actually got out of sleep mode, got in the car, and started driving, thinking, asking questions like, I wonder who's preaching today. Yeah. So you don't get to ask that in a lot of churches. Only a church like Oak, Oak Ridge, you get to ask that question. And like, who's doing worship today? And I wonder if they're going to sing a hymn today. And blah, blah, blah. Griping all the way. And they arrive at church and try to look nice. Maybe they were fighting with the wife. Maybe the kids were giving a hard time. And we're just trying to look good, feel good, you know, put on the church face and the, and the, and the whole thing. I find this amazing. Absolutely amazing to me that the church of Jesus Christ can have such a low view of itself when Christ has such an incredible view of the church. That's, that's what's amazing. Jesus' attitude is so different. Think of it this way. Instead of Jesus getting in a car on Sunday morning and saying, well, do I have to sing another worship chorus? He gets in the car and says, I love the church. I love the church. Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And then begins talking about all of the good things that Christ does for you. It's not only just that he loves it, he wants it to get better and better. And then when we begin thinking about the church and all of the things in it that are wrong, Jesus looks at the church and says, this is my co-partner in the world. This is my force to penetrate the world. This is an incredible thing. And you go back to that passage over in Matthew chapter 16. And you think about Christ asking the question, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Well, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say that you are one of the prophets. But then the question is, Peter, who do you say that I am? Peter says, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, Simon, flesh and blood hasn't revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven has revealed this unto you. And I want you to know something upon this rock. I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. How can it be? How can it be that Jesus can say such incredible things about the church and that believers have such a low opinion of the church? It seems to me that maybe believers have very short spiritual memories. What don't they remember? Well, I think, one, they don't remember where they came from. 
And two, I don't think they remember really how special the name church is. The word church in the New Testament in the Greek is ekklesia. It's made up of two little words, ek, out, and kaleo, call, to call. So the church is those who have been called out. And that's an important thing. We're called out of what? And the answer to that question is really, really simple. They're called out of sin. Go to Ephesians chapter 2 with me. If you have your Bible and you want to follow along, I'm I'm just going to quote the text or use the text. But when Paul wants to tell you what the human condition is really like, I think this is the most clear statement of what human beings are really like. I'm not talking about Christians. We're talking about all human beings at this point. Paul says three things about the human condition. He says, first of all, that we are dead in trespasses and sins. We're dead in sin, which means we can't do anything about our sin nature. Then Paul says a second thing. He says that you are under the power of the, of the prince of the air. You are, you are under the power of the devil. And then he says a third thing. He says, you know what? You actually like sinning. You're practicing sinning. You enjoy it. And that all boils down to something like this. You can't stop sinning. You don't stop sinning. And you couldn't stop sinning even if you wanted to because you can't want to. That's how deeply in trouble we are. Sin is absolutely dominating our lives. We are, as Paul would say, slaves to sin. Now what I like is what Paul does in Ephesians chapter 2. You read the first three verses and it's just absolutely dismal. And then you come to verse 4, and you hear these words, But God, but God, who is rich in mercy. And all of a sudden, things begin to change. Now, I have to admit, I like the Colossian version. Most of you are pretty good Bible students here, and you understand that Ephesians and Colossians are kind of parallel epistles. It's kind of, Colossians is the condensed form of Ephesians, something like that. And I love this verse that's found over in chapter 1 and verse 13 of Colossians. Maybe it's, it's one of my favorite verses. On any given day, it could be my favorite verse, but today, maybe today. Here it is. What has God done? God has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And this verse is really a whole lot more powerful. That's the anemic form of the verse. So when it says that God has delivered us, literally, God has rescued us, and he has done this once and for all. It's a done deal. When God rescues you, you're rescued. And the second thing he does is he transfers you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his dear son, and that also is a once-for-all thing. We're talking, as believers, we have incredible security because what happens in our lives is the work of God and not the work of us. If it was our work, if it was our choice, if it was our will, we'd have reason to be nervous. 
but it's God. And so you go back to Ephesians chapter 2 and you find this incredible statement, it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. It is not of yourselves, but it's a gift of God. And so today, as we we begin thinking about this whole thing, understand what Paul is really trying to get you to understand is this. One minute, okay, one minute you're in the kingdom of darkness, the next minute you're in the kingdom of the sun. One minute you are in sin, the next minute you are in Christ. These are huge. One minute you are in the world, the next minute you are in the church. And this isn't just Jesus and you singing Kumbaya or something like that, right? Marguerite said, that's an old course. Oh, okay, so if you're young, you don't know that course. But if you're old, you understand what I'm saying. We're just kind of whistling like, it's just Jesus. That, that course, some of you might know, just Jesus and me, you know, like, it isn't just Jesus and you. It's Jesus and a whole lot of other people who are in the same condition you were in. In other words, the church is a collective. It's not two individuals. It is all of the people that Jesus has rescued from this kingdom of darkness and whom God has transferred into the kingdom of the the Son. And that's an important thing. And so if you go to the book of Hebrews, you find a phrase that comes up 11 times comes up more than any other phrase, actually, in the book of Hebrews. Simple little phrase. Let us. Let us. Let us. Eleven times, let us. And then, when you come to chapter 10, and verses 22 to 25, in four little verses, three times, let us, let us, let us, let us. Uh, let's, let's read that. He says this. Oh, by the way, uh, maybe, can you read that? It's as big as I could make it and get it all on one page. Sorry. You got a Bible or a cell phone? Turn to it there. Okay, I'll read it. But before I read the passage, you need to understand, before this passage, there are two incredible conclusions. Since since we have a great high priest. And since there is a freshly slain sacrifice opening the way for us, let us. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some is, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Basically, this text is saying, whether you like it or not, we're in this together. (laughs) We're here this morning for group therapy. Yeah. Okay. None of us is perfect yet. We're here for group therapy. We're here in one of those little sessions where you know, what's your problem? How are you dealing with it? Whatever. We are here to encourage one another. We are here to strengthen one another. That's what church is all about. How many of you watch those National Geographic shows, like, or Animal Planet and all that stuff? I'm so sick of animal sex and animal death. Like, isn't it the same deal? I mean, it's all you ever see. It's like, okay, 
But I want, I want you to, as you think your way through that stuff today, there's always the big show that where the, it's the wild dogs or the predators or the lions or the tigers or something. And, and what happens, okay, is the lion, the tiger, the, the wild dog tries to find the stray, right? If they can just get one animal to move away from the pack, let's just say, that animal's a dead puppy, if you'll pardon that idea. I mean, that works in the Christian realm as well. We don't want to be part of the church. We're going to go it alone. I mean, the church is a group of, well, I'll let you fill in the blank. And as soon as you begin to stray, the power of this picture becomes true in a different way. Because in First Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, we're told what? We have an adversary, the devil. He roams about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. There's an enemy out there, and what he wants you to do is say, I'm separated from the pack, I'm on my own, and as soon as that happens, you're dead in the road. You're taking a risk you don't need to take. We need one another. As members of the church, the question is today, what should we do? I want to suggest three things. First of all, we should encourage one another to be incarnational. Did you have to use a word like that? You know, what What does incarnational mean? I'll talk about it a little bit. And some of you will be saying, Lou, why can't we just get down to the simple basic stuff here? Okay, so let's start with the simple basic stuff. We need to eliminate sin in our life, right? That's what you were hoping I would say. Like, I mean, after all, what should Christians encourage one another to do? We should be getting rid of sin in our lives. There's no question about eliminating sin is important. Do I, do I have to go past Romans chapter 6? Reckon yourselves indeed dead unto sin, but alive unto Christ? Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. Shall we slip over to Colossians 3? Verse 5, mortify, put to death the deeds of the flesh. So we slip over to Hebrews chapter 12. Wherefore, since we're surrounded by such a huge cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every sin or every weight and the sin that so easily gets in our way. There's no question that the believer should do everything possible to get sin out of their lives. But when you talk to a lot of Christians, you would think that this is the end goal of the game. Get rid of sin, get rid of sin, get rid of sin, and you're home free. You're not home free. You just got in the race. The end of the race is entirely different than that. The end of the race is to imitate Jesus. It's to imitate Christ. So let's set that clear in our minds. You go over to a place like, what should we say, Romans chapter 8, right? One of those great verses. For we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. 
Because these people are predestined to to what? To be conformed to the image of Christ. That's the end goal. It's the question that John asked over in 1 John. Brothers, it's not yet clear what we shall be. I love this verse, don't you? But we know this. Then when we see him, anybody want to finish it for me? We shall be like him. We go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And it's exactly the same thing. Only we're now at about 3.17, 3.18. We're being changed from glory to glory. How? We're transformed by beholding Christ. We become like Christ as we behold Christ. On and on the story goes about us becoming imitators of Christ. I don't have time this morning, and the mere mention of what I'm thinking about doing will scare some of you, but if you went to the book of Acts, the whole book of Acts, that's why we're not doing it this morning, you'll see that one of the things that Luke wants you to know is that believers like Stephen, believers like Peter, and believers like Paul, men who led the church, acted like Jesus, spoke like Jesus, and looked like Jesus. It's an incredible motif that runs all through the book of Acts. And that's what God wants for you. It's what God wants for me. That's what I mean by being incarnational, being transformed into the image of Christ so that we become a model to the world. You understand what I'm saying? This comes with heavy responsibility. It is our responsibility in our personal spiritual lives to look like Jesus Christ so that when somebody looks at us, they see a bit of what Jesus looked like and say, I want some of that. That's what happened in the early church. The church grew incredibly. How? People's lives were transformed. They began doing the kind of things Jesus did. And all of a sudden, the church is making incredible growth. So we encourage one another to be incarnation and say, how can I become incarnational? It's really simple. Well, in one way it's really simple. Here's the deal. Read the Gospels over and over and over and over and over and over and over. What's Paul say in Romans 12? We're transformed by the renewing of our minds. Read those Gospels so many times that you can hear what Jesus says. You can see what Jesus does. You begin to think like Jesus. And as a result, you begin to act like Jesus. Read the Gospels. There's a second thing we need to encourage one another to do. And that is to penetrate the world. It is to be intentional Christians. When I say to be intentional, obviously we have a great command, right? I was going to call it the Great Commission, but that's confusing because commission and money kind of go into mind together. You know, we're doing real estate or 
selling bonds or whatever, so we don't want to get into that. So let's just talk about the great command. Go into the world, preach the gospel to every creature. Okay? Make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We have a command. We just have the command there, of course. We have the command in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. You're to be my witnesses. That's, by the way, an imperative. It's, it's not Jesus saying, will you be my witnesses? It's an imperative in the Greek. You will be my witnesses in Judea, in Samaria, in Jerusalem, of course, first. And lastly, to the uttermost parts, to the outer regions. That's our responsibility, to witness. And yet the church is so much like the disciples sitting around. You read Acts chapter 1. They're having wonderful discussions with Jesus about how he actually did the resurrection. They weren't quite sure of it initially. And then Jesus, if you read Acts chapter 1, he does many incontrovertible, gives him many incontrovertible, irrefutable. It's only used once in the Greek in the New Testament there. It's one powerful word. Irrefutable proofs of the fact that he's the risen Christ. And then they're talking about the kingdom. Ooh, they want the kingdom. Just like we talk about heaven. Anybody here not want heaven? Like, it's got to be better than what we got, right? Okay, you don't want it today. You get the picture. Sitting around, sitting around. Finally, what happens in Acts chapter 1? Jesus does a little shock therapy. He leaves. And the disciples are, uh-oh. And the angel says, essentially, get to work. You men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus that you have seen go up into heaven will come in like manner. In other words, there's accountability. Here's the thing. Our whole focus is on getting into church. God's whole focus is in getting into the world. This is just one hour a week. The rest of the week, you're to be penetrating the world. That's what I'm talking about when I talk about being an intentional Christian. It is about penetrating the world. And so what happens is when we have people who are incarnational and people who understand acts, we have a message and we have a model and our job is to move into the world. And we need to encourage one another in these things. We need to encourage one another to look like Christ. We need to encourage one another to take the Great Commission, the Great Command seriously. To encourage one another to share our faith and what God has done in our lives. There's the third thing. When you have this message, and when you live this lifestyle, and you model Christ. You have influence. And that's the third thing that we're to encourage one another to do, to be influential. When I say, by the way, the influential thing 
almost happens automatically. Because when you're serious about being like Christ, and you look like Christ, and when you're serious about penetrating the world, people recognize you're there. I like the way Paul puts it in Philippians. He says something like this, we can be like stars shining in the universe. I told you the other evening when I was in Romania, the lights went out in the city. There is no smog or anything. The wind was blowing, the sky was clear. I have never, the stars seemed like they were a million miles closer than ever before. It was absolutely spectacular. Paul chooses that image. You're like stars shining in the universe. See, God calls us to be moral compasses in a world of absolute moral confusion. That's what we're to be. He says, you're to be the salt of the earth. You're to be the light of the world. A city that's set upon a hill cannot be hid. That's influencers. Let your light so shine before men that they might observe your good deeds and glorify your Father who's in heaven. And today, this is really, really kind of a simple thing. I'm going to do something I don't usually do, but I like doing. Is there a switch on this thing or it's on? Hey, there we go. Thanks, Mike. I want to talk to Grace Bakehuizen. Okay. How many of you know Grace? Everybody here know Grace? Not enough of you know Grace. She's a great lady. And uh, back in, I don't know, maybe June or something, Grace was coming in from her daily walk or whatever walked around our little back territory here and was sharing with Marguerite and I. We were just getting out of our car, having arrived for something, and sharing with us a little bit. Why don't you come here so you can face everybody, if that's not too nerve-wracking. Okay. They're really, they're really not as bad as they look. Okay. How did you get to Oak Ridge? Well, it was about a few years ago. I met Carol Clooney at Longo's, where I work. Mm-hmm. And um, she approached me one day and asked me for plastic bags for Food for Life. Cool. So that kind of started our friendship. And then uh, one day I came up to her because I, I had this need to do some volunteer work. And I asked her, I said, any ideas? And she says, yes, come to ESL. Yeah, you got to watch out for her. Yes, yeah. got an idea. She's got ideas, right? Okay. So, you know, everybody made me feel very comfortable. It was a lot of fun. And then again, she said, why don't you come to the women's conference? And I said, okay. And then I went to the uh, Good Friday service. Mm-hmm. And the rest is history. Okay. I'm here. So why do you stay here? Why do I stay here? Yeah. It's the people. You know, everybody's wonderful. Um, great friends I have here. Very supportive. Very caring. Better friends than I've had over the years in my life. Thank you. Praise God. Isn't that great? Hey, who's next? <laughs> Actually, Kim and Mijong are next. Okay? How many of you know Kim and Mijong? Okay. Now, now that Grace speaks English really, really well, right? Okay. 
But for Kim and Mijang, English is a second language. And uh, you can see the Mijang is like, mm, what's happening here? Okay, it's okay. English is their second language. They want and somewhere. Okay, there we go. Marguerite, you want to take that? Okay. They were raised in Christian homes. They've been with us now what a year and just a little more than a year, probably. Right? Year and a half. Year and a half. Year and a half. Great. Marguerite. So don't you can tell everybody how you came here. Why you came here? Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, to be honest, the first thing is that I wanted to study English. My Korean friend ever introduced me to the Diaspora class, so I came to the bridge. They taught English to us, they prayed for us every time, and invite I got to tell you something about Kim. Don't put this guy on a snowmobile. Like, I mean, came out to the house one day, and the next thing the neighbors are showing up with snowmobiles, and the next thing we know, we have no idea where Kim has gone. He's like, but, but he's going fast. Kim, why are you guys still here? You can. Uh, Kim, don't uh, don't run away yet. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna pray this morning. Kim has a uh, immigration hearing 
in next week. We thought it was this week, but it changed, right? So why don't you come here? We pray for you. Yeah. We're making up the rules this morning, right? You guys want to pray with for Kim? Let's pray. Father, we just want to thank you for Kim and the way you brought he and Mijong into our midst. The fact that they feel like they're family here. We pray that you would be with him as they have their hearing. That you would give him the ability to speak English the way he needs to speak it. And be able to give appropriate answers. We thank you for him and for Mijang and for their children. And for everything uh, that you've done to bring them here. And help them to... Uh, know God better and get a better appreciation for who Jesus is. We pray that you be with them as a family in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Kim. There's a purpose to what we're trying to do this morning. And that purpose is to understand You want to make an impact. All our lives we sit in church figuring out how we're going to get a message into somebody's head without realizing it all starts in relationships. It all starts in relationships. And I want you to understand this morning that you can make a huge impact in somebody's life. Kim and Mijong didn't mention it, but Treehouse has played a big part in their family. Being invited to people's home plays a big part in people's lives. Oak Ridge has incredible opportunity. We come together each week. We're in small little clusters. We don't even know each other. We can't be blessed by one another. I don't know about you. I love church. I love church because it saved my life twice. Once when I was a kid and I came to the Lord. But in 1981, when I moved to Canada, things fell apart in my life. Absolutely fell apart. My wife walked out. She had had a boyfriend in New York, which I didn't know about, but I suspected. I get to Canada, she goes back to New York. And I went to the church board and said, you know what? I got to resign. I didn't have an idea that this was going on. I'll pay you back for the move as soon as I can. Um, I'm figuring, I know a few people on IBM, maybe I can get another kind of job. I have no idea where my life's going. And that church said, we prayed for you for a year. We believe God wants you here. Take a leave of absence. <laughs> I've been here three weeks. <laughs> like, take a leave of absence, yeah. Take a hike. This would be more like it in my mind. It became clear that the leave of absence wasn't going to change anything either. And I want to tell you today, if it wasn't for that church loving me, I wouldn't still be in ministry. I wouldn't be traveling to Russia or Romania or Kazakhstan or... It would have been over. And I'm not sure 
what would have happened to my boys' lives? Both walking with the Lord, one being a pastor in Newmarket. I want you to know today, there's an incredible power in relational love. It's what Jesus did. What's he say? By this shall all men know that you are my disciples. If you have love, one for another. So I'm going to leave you with three little thoughts today. And I'm early. The worship team can sing for a long time this morning. It's really very simple. Live like Jesus. Live like Jesus. You read about Jesus in the book of Acts and says what? He went about doing good. Acts of kindness to people you know you don't know. Do good. I don't mean don't sin, okay? I'm not talking about that kind of good. I'm talking about doing good. Like cleaning your neighbor's driveway when it snows and they don't have time to do it and stuff like that. That kind of good. Live like Jesus, look like Jesus. In your attitudes, in your speech, in everything. And ultimately, love like Jesus. But God commended his love toward us. And that while we're yet sinners, Christ dies for the ungodly. God's love is an incredible thing. And that's what we need to do, is to love one another in this way. Hope next Sunday when you come back, you'll be able to say, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And here's where I want you to leave thinking about be attractional. We're so good at handing out God's justice. You understand? That Christ came to fulfill God's justice so that you and I don't have to do that stuff. Let's hand out God's love. Watch what happens. Carol did it. Grace is here. A bunch of people involved in Kim and Mijang's life. And you know what? I could have interviewed a ton more people here this morning whose story would be exactly the same. Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for the opportunity to be in your house. We ask that you would help us to be great imitators of Christ. Transform us into your image that the world might see in us something of the reality of what Christ can do in a life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.